What up, world, and welcome to another episode of Beer Talk Now. I'm your host, D. Neal, and today I have Scott Snyder from Brew Liberty Beer, a contract brewer out of Hermitage Brewery. Scott, how you doing today? I'm good, Daryl. Thanks for uh, having thank me. You, thank you for enjoying me on this nice sunny day. You yeah. got some. It's not too hot out here in, in Hayward, good. California. We're doing pretty nice today. Yes. Uh, thank you to the B Street Bistro yet again for yes. allowing me to come and do this podcast. And and Scott has some beer that we get to try out, and this is great. So Scott, yes, Brew, Brew Liberty Beer. Now, how did you how did you get that name for Brew Liberty Beer? Um, well, when I come up with the concept to make beer, you know, to make a living or whatever, is summer of like 2016. 2016, okay. Yeah. Um, I traveled to Philadelphia, and when I ran into Harley, my, my Navy buddy was there, and um, uh, I went and saw the Philadelphia Bell, okay. the Rocky statue. Yes, I saw the picture. And, uh, I saw the picture of the bell on the, I mean, the logo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, he gave me a gift. It's called uh, like a... Uh, a road demon kind of bell or something. You hang it on your motorcycle. It's supposed to keep the, the bad spirits away. Nice. And it's a Liberty Bell. So I just uh, come up with the concept, brew, you know, Liberty beer. And then at the same time, just, you know, making beer for... It's the, that's the freedom we have in America, you this know? This is true. And how, First Amendment. And how long have you been brewing beer? Uh, since the summer of uh, 2015. Now, what... Now, what of your? Tell uh, me a little bit about your background, because yeah. how do you go from twenty summer of twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen? I'm sorry that you just said twenty sixteen was when I started 20, the company. So twenty sixteen starting a company. Now, were you brewing before twenty sixteen? No, never. What brewed. were you doing before? So uh, I'm a naval. I was a naval officer, okay. and I was, you know, in Japan. My wife's Japanese. Tokyo, over there for, Japan. Yeah. yeah, I love it. <laughs> Fifteen years, okay. and um, but I traveled all over the place, so. I really loved international beer, like Chimie. Okay. Australia has a really yeah, nice yeah, Victoria Chimie beer. Is nice, yes. Yeah, and um, when I came here, I was like, wow. You know, I never thought of brewing in Japan, but when I came here, that everybody was starting to do home brews, and the craft brew scene was coming up. Gotcha. So that's where I got into that. And when and when did you move back to the states from Japan when you started? That to was see like the, summer of twenty fifteen. Summer twenty fifteen. Yeah. So just within that it's like year, fifteen years. Okay, so within that year period from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen, yeah. you decided I'm going to start a brewery. Yes. And you and how many how many home brews did you do before uh, you started your brewery? I probably did about a dozen. Twelve. Okay. Yeah. Twelve to get the ball rolling. Get the ball rolling. And what what um what interactions did you have with the people that you allowed to taste the beer that you brew that made you say, yeah, after a year, after twelve twelve home brews, I'm ready yeah. to go. Well, I think that the people that I was giving to were just like friends and relatives, so I wasn't looking for lip service. Okay, you know what I mean. But I think I I, I thought I might be getting lip service at the same time. Yeah, but right. I taste my own beer. I thought it was good, and then when I started to change my recipes. I started to realize people don't want so many hoppy things and things like that. So I started making my beer towards um, just regular people. You know what I mean? They aren't really into the craft beer scene, but they know it's good beer. You know what I mean? But maybe they don't want something too hoppy, too high alcohol. Gotcha. They don't know what the varieties are. So that's where I got with, you know, into the taste there. Gotcha. Now, with that, with that taste, did you uh, sample a lot of other beers that kind of gave you a profile of how you would make your beer? Or were you just going straight off the kits and... Following the recipes, when when did you start to dive into creating your own recipe? I see. So, as I was brewing my twelve batches during that year, okay. yes, I would be over the Whole Foods or the bottle shop or whatever, yeah. tasting multiple beers. So I, you know, signed up on Untapped, and I was just trying to get all the badges. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, trying to get from everywhere. Reds to lagers, whatever it was, a bar. Yeah, I tried everything I could, and then I found, you know, that. Um, uh, my palate was more keen towards international beers, actually. The craft beer was more, not necessarily heavy, but it was just a different flavor that I wasn't used to. So with that, you, so you wanted to, now did you want to merge the international kind of. profile that you, your your palate had yeah. and kind of combine it with some of the things that you yeah. like from those those bottle shares and the yeah, untapped yeah. reviews or you're going everywhere to taste it and no for sure okay and how did how did you how did you what when, when was the first time where you were able to merge those two together and think and you were saying this is the beer that i that right. i was looking for well i think it was with my wheat beer i really okay. like a wheat beer i like the shock top you know the blue moon okay. stuff like that and so uh i wanted to emulate a beer like that only better so that's where i first started making those international kind of 
changes. So I almost tried to make like a lager slash wheat. Hmm. You know what I mean? So in the end, it has, you know, the yeast in it. It creates that flavor or fruity profile. But the hops I use and stuff like that, it's almost brewed like a lager. Wow. But if somebody drinks it, you know, they'll definitely say it's a wheat beer because it's unfiltered. So you're trying to get a subtlety of the international flavor. Yeah. But still give the profile to a person in the states whose typical yeah. uh, thought process is this yeah. is a wheat beer from my palate. Yeah. But you're sneaking in those. Uh, well, not mean I say sneaking in. You're uh, incorporating yeah. the different international taste that you had. So I'll let you in on a secret. Okay. So I brought three beers. I my like first it. two is a blonde beer. Let's go ahead and crack it open. And then a wheat beer. And then I'll tell you the secret about the blonde. Okay. And I, what's the name of the blonde beer? So just uh, I did a brand name is. My beer is called Warrior One. Warrior One. Okay. Blonde Ale. Okay. And then all my beers are Warrior One. So Warrior One Juicy IPA, Warrior One Wheat, Warrior One Stout, Porter, whatever I decide to make. Gotcha. That's what they'll be. That's the beer brand name. Now, what type of hops? Like, what's, what's the, I mean, you don't have to tell all the ingredients, but what are, what are the kind of like the key things that are like, oh, this hop people may be familiar with, or did you use something different that people are not going to? No, because you want to bring that international side to it. So the deal is, is this beer is quite clear, right? Yes. So everybody's scared of it. They think... Scared of a clear beer, huh? Right. They think two things. It's either going to be... Cheers, man. Cheers. It's either going to be... Wonderful nose to it, yeah. Too light, like a Coors or a Miller. None of alcohol. It's 4.75. That's nice. But it's a great clear craft beer that's hmm. so why I, I say don't fear the clear trust me it's a good beer right so it's a great summer beer yeah very very light on the palate you have um let me get the flavor profile at least that i'm used to let me taste it again a little bit fruity kind of yeah. little s- subtle taste of that there you go this is very yeah. subtle taste of fruitiness and yeah. very it like it dissipates off the palate like as soon as you swallow it's just yeah. it's kind of just going. Gone. You have a little lingering on the on the palate yeah. but I, but i like that aspect uh, so, I mean, hops, I mean, the general hops that, you know, most people use or some brews, I think even um, like Sierra Nevada, they use one hop. I believe it's Cascade or something okay. like that. So, I can't remember exactly which hops I use, but they're basic ingredients. Gotcha. Uh, the difference is, is how it was brewed. Hmm. So, I used to do stove brewing, right? And it would gotcha. open the flame. Right. And what would happen, it was... It would burn the the sugars inside of it and caramelize a little more, and it would make it a little more hoppy too from the or malty. You know what I mean? From burning the caramel. Then what Hermitage has for their brewery, they have a steam still, so it's all it's very clean the way they make their beer. Nice. And I think that's where the flavor profile came, using the same ingredients, just making it cleaner, burn, boil, and set up. So you're allowed to because you're not burning your ingredients, you're allowed to get more of the flavor out of the ingredients. Utilize the most of the ingredients as possible and therefore now do you transfer over i know sometimes uh breweries use like the same yeast if they're making a similar uh similar profile beer not yeah. have to be exactly right, the right. same beer yeah but do you, are you doing that as well now that you're able to not burn your your hops or, yes. or the yeast in that okay. yes so i'll just be honest with you yeah. the wheat beer right here that i have is the exact same beer as this beer only not filtered wow so it's going to be funny because this is 4.75. I yeah. just reduced the amount of grain I put in it to okay. reduce the alcohol, which can change the taste, right? And then I just increased the grain alcohol on this and then didn't filter it. Hmm. Nice. The funny thing is, is, yeah, when you drink it, this still tastes like a wheat beer. It'll taste totally different from this beer. And then what is the, what's the ABV on that wheat beer? Uh, 5.5. So it Ooh. seems like in a, in a very short time, I mean, it's 2019. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a three-year time period that you were, uh, it seems like you're going base, you're learning, you got the basic um, uh, building block foundation for brewing beer. But I think, at least from my perspective in the short time that we were started, is that it seems that Hermitage has really um, introduced very simple steps that are like, if you do it this way, you're able to create something different, even if if somebody... May brew it the same way or, or use the same type of ingredients. Well, I think that everybody makes brewing so complex, okay. right? It's not complex. You know what I mean? You boil the grain. You use a specific kind of yeast. Mm-hmm. You use a different hops. And then you put the hops into the beer. You either boil it into the beer and then dry hop a little bit, you know, to change flavors. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what time you put it all in. And then the type of uh, equipment you use, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
what other breweries I think other breweries get really caught up in like I want to put um, uh, different flavors like watermelon you know the hell or high watermelon or something like that or these these crazy concepts for beer different kind of hops you know what I mean uh, with the so cascade your mosaic your I want to add coriander and yeah or mixing them right. right I don't think that it has to be done like that you know what I mean for me when I made everything and I started brewing in the kitchen, I couldn't believe how good the beer was already, right? And I tried changing a few things here and there, and it turned out worse. Wow. You know what I mean? And you'll see some brewers, they'll build brew big, big batches, and they'll just try to sell it. You know what I mean? And it's a one-off. Hmm. You know, it doesn't taste very good. You'll be at a festival. The people are dumping it out. You know what I mean? Because hmm. in general, it wasn't a good batch. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I just created this profile that... Okay, tastes like what I remember from overseas and other countries. At the same time, it's, you know, craft beer. And what do I really have to change, you know what I mean, to make it different? Now, have you ever encountered a time where you actually had to take beer that may have not met, met the taste that you like and, and change it up so it could become something that you, that you wanted? I think so with mm-hmm. porters and stouts. Okay. Uh, the big deal with porters and stouts. Did you bring any of those? No, I haven't brewed any of those except for home brews, but okay. I haven't done a large brew yet. I'll do that this winter. But the main thing with porters and stouts is they're too heavy, right? They're thick. They use chocolate and coffee and all these crazy things. Hmm. So history about a porter beer is it, it came from the, the piers uh, a long time ago, like the docks for sailors. They used to brew it into big barrels. People used to wash themselves in it, hydrate themselves, and get drunk off of it because it was like uh, it, ki- it was like alcohol. It killed okay. germs, right? Gotcha. And the ports were really nasty, working the shipyard, you know, and all this. So, yeah, people bathed in the beer and you know, they wow. washed their hands, their palate, and drank it. History That's of beer. Huh? Yeah, so, I mean, a real porter should be a little bit watery and light, you know what I mean? So it's not too heavy. I've had some of those. I didn't, I didn't particularly well, care for those, not but go like ahead. too watery, you know what I'm saying? No. So when I always look at people like a dark beer, um, the people that I've given it to, in just regular to the public, oh, I don't like dark beers. It's they like it because it's got a froth to it, but at the same time, it's not too heavy but not too light. Hmm. So, same with my porter or my sorry, my my stout. Oh, I, I I I mean, what's a great what's a great stout? I like barrel aged. So well, I mean, I'm barrel aged is great. But what has everybody had for years? Right, a Guinness. Uh, right, a Guinness. Yeah, and it's a great beer. Yeah. So I didn't. I mean, my beer tastes I think better than a Guinness with the ingredients that I use. Mm. But at the same time, you know what I mean? I wanted to keep that basic kind of... International flavor we're going back to? Flavor profile, yeah. Flavor profile. Yeah, because yeah, Guinness is like, your, if you're talking stout-wise, that's definitely, at least from my experience, your start-off yeah. stout. I think I, yeah. I have a lot of people that I know that drink Guinness when it comes to dark beer. Yeah. Uh, I think as you, as you go into the deeper culture of yeah. beer and you look at so many different... Stouts, you'll find so many different flavors of that yeah. as well. Yeah. Are you into the coffee, the hazelnut? The uh, ch- no, you know? I'm not a big, I'm not a big coffee fan. Like matter of fact, the uh, one of the beers, the Allagash that they have here at Beast Street Bistro, which yeah. I am going to try after this interview. Okay, uh, or not try, get a pint of. Okay, the it has a coffee flavor to it, yeah. but it's not overpowering. I think a lot of your stouts and your porters they put too. I, I, they put too much coffee, at least for my I palate. I totally and, agree. And then, therefore, I feel like I'm drinking a a cup, a, gl- a pint of coffee versus a nitro alcohol. Okay, yeah. <laughs> instead, instead of having that subtle coffee uh, flavor that eases onto your palate and then right. kind of and then kind of dissipates as you continue to drink the beer. Yeah. So, yeah. That's well, good. I, I, in, in general, my concept was: I think most craft brewers make craft beer for other craft brewers. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? The, I see what to, saying for compete, the science of it, something like that. But the general public, I mean, just to be honest with you, I mean, it, it's it's some it's it, like ninety percent of the craft brew scene is like white male hipsters. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in general, what I'm telling you is like they make the beer for themselves in general. Hmm. And most most of them don't like my beer. Hmm. Some of them said it tastes soapy. Soapy. <laughs> it wow. taste, I don't know whether that, I did. Kind of, I did see I a couple of comments of, on on Untap when I was looking to do some research on yeah? you. It was a couple of uh, untapped Negative comments ones, that gave yeah. me like a one or, or one over two. Yeah, was, I mean, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't all, but everyone's everyone's flavor is different. And again, yeah. it's back to your international taste and what yeah. you're able to see before the craft scene, and which I want to talk yeah. uh, hit on with you okay. about is that that craft scene here it wasn't really starting until probably I want to say 
ah, man, I want to say maybe like the nineties, maybe, maybe. And I, and yeah, I'm, yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not the most, um, versed on that. Uh, but a lot, one of the podcast interviews that I had with Craig Danielson, yeah. he, uh, from say? Livermore, uh, yeah. uh, Shadow Puppet, Livermore, yeah. uh, in Livermore, uh, he definitely talked on the fact that like craft beer and, and when he was coming up, yeah. it was like, it wasn't really craft like that. And so it was just that international aspect. Yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. get your taste, your taste buds, your palate is so diverse in that aspect, which I think, which I think is good to allows you to, at least from even this first beer that I'm tasting, yeah. it kind of, it, it's flavor forward to a point, but it's still not, it doesn't just hit you in the face. Right. And I, I, I'm used to beers hitting you in the face. Yeah, IPAs, Danks. Yeah. Even Hazy's is, it has that. So, huh. I, I agree I, to that, to that point. Um, so what do you think of the actual blonde? Itself? Yeah, the blonde is good. I, I like right. I said, I, the lingering, I, I don't know what that flavor is and I gotta, I gotta work on my flavors. Yeah. Uh, but the lingering notes uh, are, are, I don't know what they are, but they, it's, it's a one lingering note that kind of stays on it, but it's subtle and I like it. It's okay. almost, it's almost like if you were having a Pilsner that yeah. was at a, maybe like a 6%, a 5.8 to 6% Pilsner yeah. and that would linger on the palate. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, that's what I get from okay. it. Okay. No. Yeah. But All it's right. definitely clean. It, it almost, again, it almost looks like a Pilsner. It almost looks like a, um, I mean, it's, it's translucent to see. You can see through it, but yeah, yeah, it's a very light looking beer. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, from your your international beer tasting. Yeah. What, when did you? When, when was the first time that you had beer? Were you in the states? Of course. <laughs> yeah. What was that beer? Oh God. Or can you even a remember? Coors Light. Yeah. Coors Light. But a cold Coors Light can be refreshing as right. long as it's thirty two degrees. Okay. Right. And what, and what was? What was it about the Coors Light that was so refreshing and that you liked about it? It's just cold, you know yeah. what I mean, and crisp in the bubbles, you know. And when, how, and by how old were you? Do you think that you when Gosh, you had a Coors I was like Light? Twelve years old or something. Well, there's a, there you go. Tell them the truth here on Beer it Talk. It was a now. long time ago, and then of course, yeah, I went through all those the beer phases and stuff. But when I was a kid, of course, the the cool thing was to drink like. Um, you know Sam Adams, okay. right? That's expensive beer. Good old Sam uh, Henry Weinhardt's, okay. right? Little Henry Weinhardt's. Okay. I'm not familiar with Henry no. Weinhardt's, but I'm definitely familiar with Samuel Adams. I can't remember. There was a couple more that uh, back in the day that we would drink. And how and how often were you drinking beer up until the point where you were in Japan and you were doing more international beer days all the time, all the time. Yeah. And what what were other beers that you were drinking outside of your? your I think my like? go to beer back in the day was like a. A Corona. Corona? Yeah. Okay. Even then, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old Corona. Yeah, Corona. Nice lager. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's good. Yeah. So when and then when did that transfer for the international beers? When did you start not just saying, Oh, let me just knock uh, not knock back, but let me have this regular beer. When did you start really I'm going to taste the beer of the world? Well, I mean my first port, my major port, was like uh, Perth, Australia. Okay. Like Fremantle area. Nice. And then uh, they have a local beer that's called a Victoria Bitter. Hmm. So it's a little bit malty. It's clear. Love it's, the malty. But it's super refreshing. In Japan, too, they have a malty beer, uh, Ebisu hmm. beer, um, which is brewed in Tokyo. And um, so I, I actually started learning about malty beer at that point. Hmm. And then from there, I was just like, every port we went to, I wanted to drink the local beer or... You know, whatever their their Coors or Budweiser was. And at the same time, anything outside of that, you know. Now, you did hit on the aspect of the beer culture here in America yeah. and, and the aspect of just pretty much being white male dominant. Yeah. Which, which again, a lot of the uh, people that I, I follow on Instagram, yeah. and actually I went to the uh, shout-out to Fresh Fest 2019. Yeah. Uh, 2019 I went there, and yeah. you have Crown and Hops. Whoever brewing Inglewood, shout out Inglewood, California. Oh, nice. uh, you have Black Beer Traveler, Black Beer Travelers. Yeah, uh, shout out to them. They they do talk about that, and you have Cap Soul. All these right. all these black uh, either brewers or are are beer yeah. connoisseurs who d- dive into that aspect. How do you how do you take that criticism as as a white male with yeah. a bunch of other white males who are like? It doesn't taste what I'm used to. Or I don't like the profile. Right. How how do, how are you working to bring them into the fold of pretty much your international palate, at least yeah, from yeah, my yeah. perspective? Well, 
First, so when I first started selling my beer, I was real quick. I'll just say that I went to the peninsula, San Francisco. Okay. And I was just, the doors were slammed in my face. Two reasons. One, I didn't look the part. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, what's, what's look the part? So explain call, that to me. I call myself the brewer without a beard. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> so I didn't look the part. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I introduced myself as a veteran or in military, right? So uh, it being more of a liberal city. Not, I love San Francisco. I, I lived there, you know what I mean? It was a great place to live and bring my family. But at the same time, you know, doors were shut. They didn't want to touch my beer. Okay. Even though they really didn't have anything bad to say about it. But a few times, people would criticize it when I knew at the same time their criticism probably wasn't really warranted. Hmm. San Jose, getting up uh, in the South Bay area. Shout out San Jose, East San Jose, what's up? It was more welcome, you know what I mean? Actually, it was more welcome than the Hispanic crowd, you know hmm. what I mean? Than the uh, you know the brewers crowd, hmm. and so I was selling beer at like golf courses, Sunnyvale Golf Course, um, Irish pubs. You know get what in, I mean? Put my kegs the on there, and the bottom. Were like, yeah. yeah, they're just they're enjoying pizza places. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. No real tap rooms where um, I had to compete with you know some other beers because you know it, it, it's pretty competitive, right? Yeah. There's a lot of beers, different Definitely. ones out there. Competition so, is good. I like it. Yeah, and then I went up to Sacramento, Sac Town. And wow, it was like open arms, man. They just uh, everybody, huge diverse crowd. Everybody loves beer. One of the beer, one of the beer capitals. I mean, of the world, I would have to I say, is Sacramento. So. I, I mean, know. over seventy breweries. So I, I can definitely see why they're open arms. So you do, are, are you, were you feeling at that time that the, when you went to Sacramento and everybody was open arms? Did you yeah. feel the Bay Area was kind of uh, closed in to the fact of like because you had so many established, especially 20, 2016, 2017, yeah, yeah. You have so many established breweries. I mean, especially San right. Francisco. Yeah. I mean, Twenty First yeah. Amendment, right, right, uh, right. Laughing Monk, right. uh, eight eight bridges in Livermore. Almanac. I mean, and Almanac. Then you go to Oakland. Yeah. Oh, okay. There we go. So yeah, yeah, I get it. No, I mean, the worst thing is everybody was just had their own their their solid flavors that they yeah, liked yeah. the most. They weren't really to you know try anything else outside of that. It's, plus, I didn't have like I said the, the look or the or, or or what comes along with that. Okay. And the, at the same time, I don't think I had a story developed about my international palate and why I made the beers yeah, they were. Gotta sell yourself. I do now, <laughs> but in the end, but yeah, Sacramento was just open arms. So. He, I really enjoy up there because when I present my beers, I feel like it's just to normal people. You know what right. I mean? There is a brewer scene, yeah. but they're not, they're, how do I say, they mix well with the public. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's more of a, hey, you know, we're in Sacramento, the city of trees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like. So, again, with 70, with 70 breweries in such a. Yeah. It's I think, congested, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing about the Bay, because I, I see that in the Bay, because I go to a lot of breweries, and I, like, yeah. I always I go to Livermore a lot. Yeah. Uh, shout out uh, Altamont, shout out yeah. uh, Shadow Puppet, Pennyweight, which hasn't even opened yet, but I met the brewers there. Where did you? Yeah. I, I mean, I met the brewers here at the actual B Street Bistro, the, yeah. the Beer Fest, oh, okay. which, again, you should go talk to the guy when we're done, try to get into these uh, these Beer Fests. Um I think that Sacramento, because the area it may is very huge, but a lot of people congregate in one place. People in San Francisco will congregate in San Francisco. They yeah. may come over to Oakland, but yeah, that's only because Oakland's been gentrified, yeah. and now they'll come over. But before that, people in San Francisco will stay in San Francisco. Exactly right, yeah. And the brewers would travel, but you wouldn't get the you, you wouldn't get the customer base to come over. So I think that's something that you were seeing and and what you were trying yeah. to understand or that feeling is that because we are sectioned off in the bay like if you're from Oakland yeah. you're from Oakland if you're from San Francisco you're from San Francisco yeah, exactly if you're from San Jose right. yeah. you're from San Jose Richmond you're from Richmond so i think that is changing and yeah. I, I definitely would love to see you go for that that uh that second tour again when second it comes to, to, the, to the bay not in san francisco especially because you have so many breweries in san francisco but i would just say san francisco oakland richmond east brothers out in richmond that are doing great things with beer uh you you have let me think in concord you have epidemic in concord so yes these are places that they're i i my feeling is that the breweries are are open i just yeah. think that you didn't have what like you said you were you were you were not the norm, or you were not the, right. you were not the. This is similar to the profile that I had. Now yeah. you're in a state of confidence. I ah, think a, yeah. uh, b you have a story, and yeah. you're you and you're talking about like we're talking now your yeah. international aspect, and I think that's great. I think that you having that international flavor, I mean t profile, yeah. uh, uh, excuse me, palette. It's something that a lot of people don't get to have, and it's growing more. Like we talked about off off mic, 
You're yeah. talking about the num- the number three beverage in the world is going is going it's up beer. to beer. So yeah. there there are a lot of beer vacations. People are going to Spain. People are going to Japan. Really? People are going everywhere to try to taste beer. Different beer, and that's something. Shout out to downtown San Jose Brewing DTSJ. Yeah, the guys I met from uh, uh, Ron's birthday, his 50th birthday, he invited me to. Yeah, they were bringing beers from all over the world. Oh, really? Uh, some of them were local, but a lot of them for when they did travels out yeah. of country. And I was like, man, this is great. So I, th- I think keep going, okay. but I think continue your story with Sacramento. Everybody, open well, arms. No or, worries. Let's, let's kick off the uh, the wheat. All right, now the wheat is called Warrior One, one wheat. wheat. Okay, I got the. That's where my first name came from. Gotcha. And then uh, now, so, what what made you get in the Navy? Since we're before before we get well, too close into it, you, you really want to know? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay, so I came in as a rescue. Sw- well, I grew up in Boise, Idaho. Okay, shout then, out Idaho. <laughs> yeah, and then I came in. As a rescue swimmer, you fill me up, man. We're gonna drink well, hang all on. this. I gotta get some yeast in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's clear, right? Yeah. Then the bottom is where the yeast is. You pour the yeast in there. There you go. Yours looks a little okay. We're almost the same. You know what? Yeah, I don't see. I don't see much yeast in that bottom. I don't see much yeah, yeast it looked like look, it looked like it poured clear to me. You know what? That's all right. Well, for some reason, this bottle is like yeastless. <laughs> Daryl, I'm sorry. Hey man, it's all right. <laughs> it's beer. So I enjoy this, it. This Cheers. Oh no, got like, a little louder than that. We gotta. This might there we go. Just like the blonde. <laughs> it smells. It smells weedy to me. No, no, no. Well, it has a very small weed profile. Yeah. For some reason, the bottle didn't have any yeast in it. I have some other samples in my bag. We'll, we'll go for it next time. Let's continue. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, I came Idaho, in as a, yeah. yeah, I came and then I came in as a rescue swimmer, you know. I uh, I had a traumatic brain injury when I was 16, so wow. I was in like a coma. I woke up. How long were you in the coma? A couple weeks. Wow. And then uh, but I I healed 100%. I'm very lucky. Uh, motorcycle accident. Wow. Hence I rode a motorcycle. You still you still you, <laughs> yeah, I was I just going to ask here, you. Man. I definitely thought you had a motorcycle, so okay. So uh and then uh I, I, I couldn't handle the um, uh, unpressurized cabin at 12,000 feet in the helicopters, so uh, they switched me over to a uh, meteorologist and oceanographer. Yeah. So I went to school and became a meteorologist slash oceanographer. I like wow. sub hunting and you know uh, uh, air for or aviation weather and typhoon and all that stuff. And then um, in 2006, I left the Navy after 8.5 years, and then I went to work in Tokyo in the corporate. Shout out Japan. I got to yeah. keep saying that. I got to go there. 2020 Olympics. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Continue. And then um, I really just missed the Navy while I was a corporate. You know what I mean? So I came back as a reserve oceanography officer. And then I had to, I quit after about um, in 2012 with corporate because I, I kept taking orders. You know what I mean? Enjoying the deploy, going to Korea and mm-hmm. Thailand and the least. I was having a great time. I'm a military, a military man. You, you got to go where they tell you to go. Well, it's voluntary in the oh, reserve. Excuse me. So anyway, okay. I was kind of like uh, hurting the company, and then, uh, uh, yeah, I got out, and then I just taught some college. You know what I mean? In Japan, and then that's when I got the orders here, mm-hmm. active duty to be a recruiter mm-hmm. for five years, and brought my family over. That's where I, yeah, Bay Area craft beer. That's right. I will Shout say out the this Bay. though. When I went down to San Diego in like the gas lamp district. Oh man, shout out San Diego. They yeah. got a, their beer scene is crazy out there in San Diego. I've always heard back in before, you know, 2010 and stuff that that was the beer capital of the world. They had mm-hmm. so many breweries and all these things going yeah. on there. Still I don't think do. it is now. Still got a lot of breweries. It's not as big. I mean, Sacramento just a lot of people just go to Sacramento and they're so shocked at the level of breweries that are there. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about you can go couple miles and you'll see a brewery for sure so yeah for sure so but, yeah the wheat i mean sorry cut you off the wheat is yeah no, not, i got you we'll we'll, no. we'll hold off on the we'll hold off on the i almost want to dump it and no, get no, the, the bottle we'll, out we'll, we'll dump it we'll, we'll hold off on the criticism of the wheat beer but we'll, we'll continue it, with your continue with your story on your path from the navy to the to reserves now a recruiter of five years. Yes. And and you're doing that at the same time that you're brewing at Hermitage. Correct. So mm-hmm. I launched, I came up with the idea, like I said, uh, summer of 2016, and then started mar- you know, designing all my marketing, right? The label and the company name, registering and all those things, recipes, working with contract brewing with Hermitage. Then I brewed my first beer in January 
my first beer's package of uh, January this 20, year. January 2019. Year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then I did another one the following month, which was the wheat. I did the blonde first, then the wheat, and then I did the GCIPA hmm. in uh, May. So what feedback in that time where you were brewing before you launched and, and bottled your beer, what feedback were you getting from Hermitage? Because I, uh, Lucky Devil Brewing also yeah. brews out of Hermitage yeah. as well. And I just think that con- the idea of contract brewing, like not paying overhead, really. Yeah. I mean, you are you are ha- you having to pay because you're using right, right. their equipment, but not right. not having to. You're not you're not you don't have a whole bunch of employees. No, or all, no, you don't. No, it's like just that. you and that team, which is already set up. Even though you're mostly doing your recipe, you're still having the interaction. What did they say? Did they did they taste did they taste your beer? Did they were they on, along the way, or was it kind of like, hey, I'll just let you do what no. you gotta do? And then you, we can have basically like they, they, if they want, if you want them to make a recipe, right. costs you know like about twenty five hundred bucks. Okay, if you have your own recipe, yeah. Peter uh, is like their brew wizard. He's graduate with a degree in fermenting from UC Davis. Okay, he's been around for a long time. Nice shout out so, to the Aggies. <laughs> you're right. So I talked to him about what I have and stuff like that, and their equipment, and kind of go through the process and make sure that I'm you know. Is it, you know, are you okay with this? Is it good? He's like, yeah. So we go through that process, and then I'm just there on brew day, you know, to work with the guys, make sure that it's going well. Then a week later, while it's, you know, fermenting, I go test it, and then I'm packaging down there at the same time. Hmm. You know, you know, get and test it, taste. Then we put it in a bright tank where they kind of cold crash it, which means all the sediment is, is so cold it just drops to the bottom. Nice. Um, do they have a filter for that when no it crashes? filter, the, actually. Now, do you pump? Does it pump? From the top going out after it's doing the fermentation, or is it going? Does it do a gravity feed the at bright, the bottom? I don't remember exactly how they do that, yeah. but for the they don't actually they don't do they don't do what they call like filtering. They do a centrifuge where they spin it like a washing okay, machine. Yeah, if you want it, everything out of it. Got it. But more or less, I like all my beers to keep the yeast in them as okay. much as possible. So except for the blonde, so I'll just do a cold crash, which means just it goes down to like below zero, right, and then. Everything at the bottom is left. You know right. what I mean. And you keep that. You want to keep those in your bottles for certain brews, or you just let that. You want that to sink at the bottom. So well, it's sediment meaning like the hop leaves yeah, and all yeah. that junk and stuff. What I what I would get from my home brews yeah. is gone. Okay, but the yeast will usually stick around because you know it'll be inside there. You know what I mean. Gotcha. The, the actual tank itself has screens too. So mm-hmm. once you get down with that part, you know you're gonna ha- you still have the yeast in with the wheat beer. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So once they pump it over, I'm just keep the yeast. Now is your yeast still alive at that point, or is it dormant at that time because you're going to zero? It's pretty dormant. Now. Okay. Yeah. It's so it's done. not nothing that zero. Okay. It's totally done. It's just trying to get trying to get some but knowledge here. Trying like you said, for the overhead, you know, mm-hmm. well, the minimum amount of brew you can do is 25 beer barrels. 25. That's so a lot of beer. That's a lot, that's a lot of beer, barrels. right? That's a lot of barrels. Right. So you end up with like maybe like four to five pallets of six stools. You know what I mean? Mm. Twenty per six still. Wow. And then I, you know, I, I do the thing where I give the bars and restaurants a deal where it's like three sixels for the price of a half barrel. Mm. They're happy with that. You know what I mean? Just move product, and then you can sell single sixels and stuff like that. But mm. for the most part, yes, it works out much better. I so mean, are you, are you spending more time focusing on sales and marketing now that because you're a contract brewer and you're because it. And, again, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. It seemed like that you you have the recipe, you give them the recipe. Right. They're make they're making the process, and you're kind of going in at the key times right. that you need to test and make sure that this beer is the way that you want it. Yeah. But mo- is most of your time? Uh, My time is spent taking samples and dropping them off at bars, restaurants, and liquor stores, nice. then letting them test it and following up. You know, yeah. like for sales, it's like five to nine visits before you actually face to face before you actually get somebody to take. You know, your product. Okay. And then when they take it, of course, it's all competitive, right? Mm-hmm. So to get a permanent tap handle is very rare. Yeah. I have a few. Nice. But Congratulations. Thanks. But at the same time, you know, there's, everything's rotating, right? So it's hard. To, you have to come up with new beers. And if you have a lot of stock, you got to do more more sales. Mm-hmm. And so it's just beat your feet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I came up with the concept is every brewery has a tap room, right? Mm-hmm. And... A tap room creates a very huge amount of revenue for the brewery itself. Yes. The tasting room is where, you know, from tank to, to, to pint is where they make the most money. So the business side, school the me. Business side. School me. So I have a location in Sacramento that I'm opening up a tap room in January, February timeframe. I can't wait. 
I'll so. be there. I want to open. I want. I want beer talk now to be there exclusive. <laughs> we can get it going. I'll bring For every. Sure. I'll get as many people that are in that area to come as possible. I mean, in, in essence, I did the uh, the whole process backwards. Okay. Most people create a brewery. They get a type twenty three. Mm-hmm. They make a brewery in a tap room. They try to sustain that and pay back whatever loans they have or the investors. Then they start distributing right mm-hmm. by themselves, and then they try to con- get a distributor, you know, to do it for them. Got you. Um, I went the opposite route. No business loan, no tap room. I just made the recipes and started distributing. Mm-hmm. It's worked out well because now I have kind of, you know, I have my Facebook, a little bit of mm-hmm. following known. I've done like some beer festivals. Yep. People that's know where, who I am. That's where we met. Exactly. Discovery, Discovery Park. Yeah. So, beer, brew Fest. For 2019. sure. Shout out Sacktown again. <laughs> Sacktown. Sack is great, that's man. great. Continue. So in essence, when I launched my tap room, it should be a hit. You know what I'm mm. saying? It should be a big party because people know me already. I have a following and mm. stuff like that. Whereas when people lose the launch of brewery, it takes you know anywhere from two to three months or even six months mm. to get the crowd to notice you, like your beer, get a following, and get them to start coming in regular. Mm. So, I like I like the, I like the way that sounds. It's the unorthodox way yeah. of doing it, and I think that that is something that more and more when I when I'm learning about contract brewing, yeah. why it always, I'm a big fan of if either I'm a direct market to you and yeah. I'm going to go to the tap room, I'm going to go to the brewery so that yeah. I'm not going to spend my marketing dollars. Right. I'm trying to get the mass audience to appeal to it. Right. You got to find your niche. You got to build your, you build your base from there. Right. And as you grow, I mean, the way you're doing that is is going to be. I think is very I think so. key. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, very sustainable too, because people are like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, brew brew Liberty beer. Oh yeah, I know about them. Yeah. Oh, they they got a tap room. Oh, that's crazy. Let's go get it." <laughs> and that's and that's how it changes versus the way that you were talking about before yeah. that most breweries do. Yeah, it's sustaining that brings a lot brings a lot of stress, at least from what I experienced in the conversations that I had. It so, does, yeah. especially with investors and things like that. So I'm I'm able to just I think. Be a hundred percent owner of this tap room. Hmm. At the same time, create the revenue stream. You know, with the um, the contract brewing and distributing as well. So, now, how do you manage your time between your family, uh, your your, oh, your your work, and then your 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 uh, your company? Your company. So, I actually sent my family back to Japan. Wow. <laughs> Last okay. Uh, in the in the spring, Max. Why, if you don't mind? Well, I mean, uh, so my, my my kids didn't speak Japanese when we first came here in 2015. So mm-hmm. they went to Harvey Wright's Milk Academy in the Castro. Okay, you know the grade school there. Learned English basically. We moved to Mountain View, and they had that kind of uh, you know you know backyard house life, mm-hmm. uh, you know neighborhood feel. And then in the end, we realized you know that. Uh, if I retire in the end, I want to. We all want to live in Japan. Okay. Uh, Go back to Japan. Time. So, uh, shout out to all the on, anime from Japan. I love it dearly. Akihabara. And all the <laughs> all the ramen, everything. Yes. 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 Continue. Sounds great. No. I throw that in there. So um, I brought them back now while I have an employment, you know, employer, which is the Navy. Um, and then basically with them gone, I'm able to focus, you know, manage my time between the business creating everything and setting it up so that I create my own salary basically mm. in July when I'm out of the Navy. Nice. With, you know, the business loan or whatever, right. everything is written in there so that come July 1st when I'm done with the Navy, mm. then my business loan will give me a salary, you know, to support my family, wow. take care of myself. And at the same time, I should be, you know what I mean? Right. It'll be six months. I should be creating some kind of revenue out of the tap room enough. Now, do you see your international palate for your beer working on an international level, like because you want to retire yeah. in Japan, yeah. Uh, how do how how are you preparing yourself to make make yourself an international? So I'm brewer? already my wife is Japanese, so she's already uh, taking care of her own distribution license in Japan. So I will be taking my I'll be sending my beer to Japan here in the next probably next year. Hmm. I'm assuming after the new year, that's some time frame. And then Australia is getting big. You know, I have friends there. Nice. So I'm going to look at distributors there. And then Europe, you know, 
That sound, that UK sound, man, man. That sounds amazing. I mean, it's just another portion of the revenue stream. You know, if you're not looking at every aspect, you know what I mean. To make, I, I think the most brewers get in the concept is like, I'm going to brew beer, make a brewery, and have a tasting room, and that's it. Mm. You know what I mean. And if they're listening to me, probably giving them huge, <laughs> some yeah. great nuggets of yeah, ideas. Right. You have to do everything. You know, whether it's just five percent of my revenue distribution overseas. You know what I mean. Like one or two brews a year, mm. it's still going to create some kind of profit that I can count on. You know what I mean and get my name known internationally. Hmm. If not, like you said, somehow some kind of connection, you know what I mean? Networking. Networking somehow some somebody loves it over there and decides to order, I don't know, you know, 10,000 barrels or something. I'm just yeah. guessing, guess, you know what I mean? Stay high, high level. Whatever. Think, think the high level. But from that, you know what I mean, to the tap room and the distribution, you have to just do it all, you know. Yeah. yeah. So what what are you what are you looking at? Yeah. In the next five years, you know, every everyone five asks years. that five year plan type of thing, but yeah. let's you know what let's let's stop doing that. Let me let me stop doing yeah. that. Go ahead. What is it that you want Brew Liberty Beer to represent for yourself? Yes, to where you feel like I have done or accomplished what I set out for this okay. this company to be. Okay, so mainly my tap room. It's not for the brew geek. Mm-hmm. By all means, it's welcome for anybody, right? Mm. But again, like like I said, I brew my beer for the average people. You know what I mean? Whether it's the government worker or the first responder or the firefighter or just diversity. You know what I mean? Mm. Where everybody can come in and see some sports or play games, enjoy, you know, 15, 12 or 15 beers. You know what I mean? And get kind of that feel where it's like they're not walking in um, and being kind of, how do I say, overwhelmed with some kind of science about the name of the beer, <laughs> the IBU, gotcha. the ABV, gotcha. you know what I mean? All these things associated with it. Hmm. I just want, uh, yeah, just normal people to just enjoy good craft beer at a reasonable price, too. I don't know. I keep my stuff, my MSRP, at a very low MSRP. I'm not looking to make, you know, fortune or get rich. Just want to make a living. That's it. And, what, and MSRP stands for? for uh, just whatever the... Um, Whatever my my marketing price, okay. I want it to be on the Mar- shelf. Margin type of situation. Yeah. Okay. So if I sell it to a liquor store, like a four pack or a twenty two ounce bottle, I, for instance, I sell the twenty two ounce bottle to them for like four twenty five, hmm. but they usually mark it up thirty percent. So I don't want my bottle to be more than five ninety nine. Wow. You know what I mean? I don't want people to think, oh. I mean, I guess if I used some crazy products, you know what I mean, oh, <laughs> and made some super special. But again, then I wouldn't be brewing for. The regular people, you know what I mean. So how do you, how do you bring in the diversity for your beer? So when you do have a creative mindset that you want to try something different, yeah. Instead of just doing the basic aspect when you want to do creativity, how are you going to balance that out for yourself? Because I, uh, from the conversation, I hear a lot of yeah. You want to stick to the basics because the basics, if you if done done right, yeah. are done as you as it's been done from. Some since the monk started beer yes. and even and women well actually women brewers yeah. way before that right how how do you, how are you gonna uh, merge those two together so that you are be are allowed to be creative yeah. and at the same time not lose that basic aspect of I your think beer? just takes when when I open my tap room actually I'm gonna take a lot of the I got a lot of people's email addresses from the beer festival they filled out about I'm gonna create a newsletter. And I just want suggestions from normal people. Like you know it. what I mean? I just want them to be able to respond to me and say, hey, I like this or like that. You know, so that I can create something that uh, may be new or something like that. And if it's a hit, then great. But one-offs are great. You know what I mean? Like Especially if I can get a dozen people to agree on, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Now, how, how do you deal with criticism? Because, yeah. again, being a contract brewer, A, probably you deal with a lot more yeah. different um, critiques than I would say certain oh, sure. than just a and when I say established brewery yeah. even if the brewery's like a month old they're still probably like okay they have a brick and mortar right. location how do you deal with those critiques like wh- how do you how do you incorporate them into making your marketing stance better and yeah. then also making your beer better in the sense of like more sellable to those people who you want to buy those beers, the bars, the breweries, right, right. Well, I won't or even na- the, cu- the customer because the customer is always key. But go ahead. Sure. Well, I in Mountain View, I hit up one bar, kind of a bistro, like a tap room where they have like food and all that stuff. They have select beers on tap, right. and I I introduced my beer. Uh, I won't say the name of them, but um, 
then I explained that I'm a contract brewer, and then they just totally gave me the 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 door. You know what I mean? Like, no, we don't deal with contract brewers. But it was funny because they had at least you know 20 taps, and I could see at least a half a dozen of them that get brewed at the brewery where I do my contract brewing, right. meaning. They basically have like a, a five barrel still, mm. and they created their name so and so brewery, mm. and they brew maybe small matches for their own tasting room. Yeah. But they contract ninety percent of their beer through the company Hermitage that I do. Wow. So the concept is like, hey, you, you really don't understand. They were being biased. You know what I mean? Right. Because of perception. Because perception. of how was- how that company presented themselves and sold themselves. So how are you going to present yourself? Yeah. To these to these bars, these breweries, these companies right. moving forward, because I don't want you. I, let me not say what I don't want, but taking away that contract aspect is I don't. It doesn't seem like something that you want to do, which I think no. is great. No, I don't. But how, really how are you going to how are you going to word it in a way or show that potential client that yeah. like this is not a bad thing. This is something right. that. Well, I, I, I sell them one. I tell them the process. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm saying, Daryl, I I go in there. I'm actually there on brew day. I have my recipe. They order all my ingredients. I use their equipment. And I'm familiar with their equipment, too, from my stove to huge production. You know what I mean? And I'm working with the brewers. I don't have a license to brew. They do. You know what I mean? And they don't just tell me no. You know what I mean? They tell me what I can and can't do based on the equipment. But at the same time, you know, like, for instance, for when it comes to CO2, you can only put, like, 2.8 or 9 in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you go above 3.0, you're going to break bottles, right? So I explain to them, oh, I want more bubbles. You can only do this, you know? So I'm there on packaging, brew day, packaging day, and and in between, you know, tasting the product to make sure it's okay. So, sorry, I I can't see that. You know, I I don't see any kind of conflict of interest, and I'm 100% owned. There's no, I don't have an investor. You know, I'm just like I'm a one man show. You know what I mean? So same time, I like it, man. Started from the bottom, now we're here. You got to just keep going. Yeah. Now, how? What do you feel about? The I don't want to say traditional, but the beginning of beer, even in in, in like Belgium, they mm. recapture a lot of beer. Because I know I was talking right. to Paul from Lucky Devil yeah. uh, Brewery, and he uh, Lucky Devil Brewing, which brews out of Hermitage as well. Shout out Paul and Tanya. Um, he talked about like they recapture. So when they see us uh, yeah. Americans injecting CO two in our beer, they're yeah. like, "What the hell is that? Like, doing? why would you, why would you let all that CO two go?" That's produced and then injected with CO2. Correct. I know we, there's laws and regulations of that, but have you thought about re- recapturing your own C- the CO2 that's produced from your beer? And does Hermitage have anything set up for that at the moment? You don't have to put the CO2 in the beer because there's a natural CO2 that's created, okay. right? But at the same time, people love bubbles in their beer. I hate to say this. Love the bubbles. J- Japan huh? is like known for the head on the beer. They yes. want to see the bubbles. <laughs> so, so the deal is, is like... Uh, with a porter or a stout, mm-hmm. you can let it be, you can leave it be, you know, maybe just a, a small amount of bubbles or something like that. And also, when you pour a beer and the bubbles start coming out in the beer, you're losing flavor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As they're popping, you're losing the flavor of the beer. Wow, I did not know that. See, yeah, so at the same time, you know, you don't want too many bubbles because it could do that. But I, I, I just think that's an American thing. You know what I mean? We all like, uh, we like, we, we like the bubbly we, beer. We, we, we just... Again, we're learning new things in this world. Yeah. And I think that's the wonderful thing of why people are taking these beer vacations because they're incorporating what's already been out there internationally. Yeah. And trying and trying to bring it back. Now, I see you about to pop it. Yes. The juice. Well, the great thing about most about to pop this can, this good old so IP, juicy IPA. Yes. Warrior one juicy IPA. You, had this, you had this one at yeah. the uh, the festival. Yes, we did. I was really shocked by that one. I was like, this doesn't taste like IPA at all, but I enjoyed it. Well, mm-hmm. it should taste like an IPA at the beginning. <laughs> Malty, hoppy, and then you're, that's your first sip. There's three that you have to go through. Um, the uh, now This one has a huge amount of uh, head on top of that. And when we say head, we're talking about the foam on but the foam. If you notice, the bubbles are a little bit bigger than normal heads, yeah. so and they not, should drop fast. Okay. But now, am I losing a lot of flavor in that aspect? It can See, be, you yes. Ju- you just mentioned that. You can be, yes. But there's enough flavor packed into the beer that it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is it's a three-shot wonder, meaning you got to take three sips or drinks before you actually get the flavor profile. Right. So the deal is... Is the first one's hoppy and malty, like a traditional West Coast IPA. Okay. These hazies, hazy, I love hazy IPA, <laughs> but hazy IPA is not an IPA. Talk to me. Hazy but. should be a different classification of a beer that we can vent it. Some of them aren't 
hoppy at all. No. They dry hopped the hell out of it. A real Indian pale ale. The beer came from India. It was hopped. It was, the hops were boiled into it for uh, preservatives, right? Uh, it was shipped from India to the Western us, Coast. Teach us. So that, you know, we could all enjoy the beer and it wouldn't be rotten or, you know, bad because it never got refrigerated, right? Wow. So in general, that's where the Indian pale ale came from, the bitterness. That's what a West Coast IPA is. Hmm. The hazies are not that anymore. So I, my opinion, we should just create a new class of beer. Let's call it hazy. A hazy, yeah. It's hazy. It's a hazy beer. Good so old. anyway, this is a West Coast IPA. Cheers. Mild on the first hit. I like how the bubbles, they, the, the head slowly dissipates. Slow. Well, I mean, I mean, it's fast, but it's like. You were, it's, worried, you were worried it was going to linger, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No. Like this is it's disappearing, but I like how it's almost kind of like being drawn into the beer versus like just dissipating. So I like that. Or drinking the foam. Yeah. But this is, like I say, it's the third drink is the best drink. The first one's malty and hoppy. I get more malt. Like an IPA. I get more malt out of this. Yes. I, that's why I think why I liked it so much. Go ahead. Then number two, your palate's going to calm down a little bit. It's going to mellow out. Then the third one, your palate washes itself clean. Your your mouth like salivates and it just disappears. You're, you're talking all the things that happened when I first tasted. It was a lot colder then, but this one's still, I like it a little warmer actually. Well, the cool thing about all the most craft beers is like a Coors Light or a Budweiser is, mm. needs to be served at 32 degrees, mm. like post free, pre-freezing, right? Because the colder it is, the more numb your tongue will be associated uh, with yeah, I don't beer. want that numbness. I don't but want that with numbness. craft beer, it can, the best serving is at 45 degrees because, Perfect. <laughs> because at 45 degrees, you're going to get the flavor and then your n- tongue isn't going to be numb from the cold. Mm. So, but yeah, this is a frothy beer. Actually, when I pour it, I, I, like have, it. I have a difficulty. I have to pour it very slow to keep the head down. Yeah. I don't know whether I put too much CO2, but the bubbles are large. I so see that. What happens is it's easy to drink still. Yeah. You definitely get a, a a lot of head on that beer and the frothiness. I enjoy the frothiness. It almost reminds me of like kids drinking hot chocolate with some whipped cream on top yeah, of yeah. it because how, <laughs> how how it lingers and stays on top. So I think that's great. But most people, like I said, the juicy. The this has been my my biggest hit. I I'm telling you, when we first had it at the beer fest, I was like, then this is a beer that we got we got to. This should be the flagship. I'm just being honest. I should change from the the wheat beer to the juicy. I, I'm thinking so. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't get the chance to taste the yeast filled wheat beer the way that Sorry. you wanted it to. But I will this, give you a bottle I, to juice, go. This Warrior One Juicy IPA is yeah. definitely is definitely for me the flagship. That's that you the go one. For. This is my choice. For, well, for I mean, beer. I introduce it to women that don't like IPAs or people that aren't so into it or they've been you know tasting the Sierra Nevada yeah. or the. What is it? Denogonizer. Yeah, Drake. Oh, shout out Drake. Denogonizer. I, mean, I love, love Drake. It. I, that was my go-to beer, you know, before I started. The Void. Have yeah. you had the Void out there? They, have you I had the Void? I had the Void. Go get the Void. The Void is a barrel-aged rye barrel stout. You'll love it. I love rye beer, too. Uh, you'll love it. You'll love it. I'm trying to tell you. Barrel-aged for life. But no, at the same time, a lot of people don't like that bitterness right. or the lingering on the tongue. And this doesn't do that. It, it's no. a slight. It's a slight... And when we say bitterness, again, I've been talking about it for like the last 10 episodes. We were talking now community is alpha acids that are produced right. from the hops. So yes. that slight alpha acid type texture or flavor that's yeah. coming out of that is very, very mellow. It hits you a little bit and yeah. then it dissipates. So I can see why not just women, but people who are not into IPAs, why they like this. Beer. Yes. No. Well, I, I always tell people, too, was when I brewed this IPA, I thought of two things. One, what's the th- what? What do I hate the most about an IPA? Nobody tells you how much they hate about a wheat. Nobody tells you what they hate. Oh about yeah, they tell you all the time. They hate the hoppiness of IPA. That's the exact Straight same up. thing. Everybody, oh, it's too hoppy. Yeah, but I still wanted too, to taste too bitter. It. Yeah, and the worst thing they said is I can't order another one because it's still on my tongue. There we go. I need a pizza. Mm-hmm. I need sugar or something to clean my palate. Right. So I made this. So and everybody orders a second. That's what they go for. Now you're talking. They're like, okay, I'll have Cheers another. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers to that. You got to get a second. You go for a second round, that means you're doing something. No, for sure. So that was the deal when I made this one. And then the second thing was, I think most brewers, if you ask them, 
Like when, when you think of wine, if you go to a winery and you sit down and you're drinking wine, you ask them, how does it taste? You know, whether it's a Zinfandel or a Sauvignon Blanc, mm-hmm. Chardonnay or something, Pinot, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. then they'll say it's dry, mild, it'll have hint fruit flavors, but they'll tell you how it finishes. You know what I mean? I like that. I like they that. They say exactly how it finishes. In the brewing industry, I've never met a brewer that's actually said, when you first taste it, you're going to taste a little, like, like, like a Apricot chocolate style. Or yeah, you're yeah, 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 going to have it's gonna finish of lemon or something. I got you. Like this. So my whole deal was I wanted a clean finish. So if you ask a brewer, brewer, how does the beer finish? They either look at you kind of strange or they'll give you some kind of BS line about, uh, well, you know, you'll have some mango or (laughs) something like that in there. Mango. Love the mango, especially with IPA. Yeah, something like that flavor. But in the end, floralness. Yeah, I just wanted a super clean finish where people, you know, after the third drink, they're like, wow, oh, that's good. Now, how do you see the beer world right now especially yeah. especially in the united states because you have a, you have an international palate yeah. but especially in the united states how do you what are, what are the positives that you see in the beer culture now here in the united states and what are some of the things that you you wish were like different or would be more open to uh different interpretation i think that the the diversity the the, the diversity of the crowd is a, i wish would become more diverse hmm. Less, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Where, so uh, just in layman's term, less white, more people. I hate to say, I mean, yeah, <laughs> because it, I think even when I talk to my Hispanic friends or my Asian friends mm. or my African American friends, I, they all, you know, they like craft beer. You know mm. what I mean? But they don't know what to get or this or that. You know, they're, they're not necessarily educated. And I said, you don't have to be educated no, not at all. You just gotta kind of drink that beer and don't stay stick with one brand of beer. I, you know, like when. How do I say it? When you go to like an old school town where all they have on tap is Miller, right. Budweiser, and Coors, right. you know what I mean? The, one of those three. The three loggers, yeah. the three staple loggers. So I just think that I think everybody should just be drinking different beer all the time. Yeah. I, I think with that point, as far as diversity goes, yeah. for me, I like running my mouth. So that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I created the podcast. The biggest reason is to talk to people. Right. I don't. I don't have that feeling of like when I walk into a room and it's mostly white or I, or whatever yeah, that you have that feeling. But I understand where that where that comes from, especially when you're a person who you want to try something new. And craft beer to a lot of people, and why I started this podcast, a lot of people think of beer as one way. Miller's, Coor, Budweiser. And the world of beer is so much different just in the States, but even internationally. Right. But I just have that fearlessness to walk into a brewery and because I have some aspect, because I started with a Pilsner, right. went to the Ambers, yeah. jumped to the Porters and the Stouts, yeah. went to the Belgiums, and now a barrel age is like God beer to me, and I yeah, care yeah. less what anybody yeah, barrel says. Barrel age is nice. And, and I just don't have – I have some type of experience, and I think yeah. that's where the lack of inclusion and in, of what that divi- diversity yeah. is that some people who have who are div- uh, who are different ethnicities, different colors, whatever, yeah. they have the experience. But when they get into the aspect of brewing, yeah. when they get into the aspect of wanting to incorporate that diversity, people yeah. automatically assume it's like ah, you you want to change it and make it yeah. this one kumbaya. And the reality is like yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be kumbaya, but the reality is that the when I say I don't like. Your typical stout or your typical porter, your typical yeah. IPA, and I'm a customer that has a, a bunch of friends that can increase your revenue, then you need to start listening. Not right. mean you change everything completely, right. but you have to be open to criticism. And sure. I think that what you're talking about is, and I can't speak for all because all the brewers that I'm at, yeah. very open to criticism, but there is a community in beer because it's yeah. mostly been white, just like a yeah. lot of other things in this country sure. where when you open up to other people, you get your beer doesn't taste the way I want it to taste. Right. And a lot of people can or cannot deal with that. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Like you got it. The truth, tr- the truth for somebody may not be the truth for you, but at least, yeah. at least if you're like, well, let me look at that or let me taste that different thing. Like I, like I told you, this juicy IPA should be your flagship. You have the the warrior wheat, yeah. and that's great. But that one is not, at least from what I taste, is not hitting. And you have to be I open know. to that criticism. You're I see. you're an artist, and you're sensitive about your shit, like yeah. a lot of artists yeah. are. But at the same time, you have to be open to people critiquing it because yeah. when you start a company, that's just what it is. You're gonna get that. <laughs> well, then maybe my suggestion to the brewing community right. would be the brewing community, like right. brewers in general. Right. 
You know what I mean? Where they're all sitting in there is when people come in that don't look like them. You know what I'm saying? Or they don't, they can tell that they don't know anything about beer. Mm-hmm. They should be totally open arms about like, hey, what kind of, what do you like to taste? You know what I mean? What is your favorite beer? You know, what do you normally drink? Lights and, are hey, key. I can I can tell you that these are going to be this. I kind of made this. You know what I mean for this kind of taste profile. There we go. That's where I think that the brewing community should be way more welcoming right. to the public. And it's not that the brewers are not. It's just when right. you, when you have a tap room, you have to really educate your staff as far as the flavors, right. the profiles that you want to get yeah. from that beer, and you have to sit down and have that conversation. So when you open your tap room. Right. That's coming up in January of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like not just you there, but if you're if you're gonna have an employee there, they need to know what your beer tastes right. like and to be able to talk to people because at the end of the day, you want more people to come, even if they know nothing about it. That's Correct. great. That's a prime opportunity for you to open up their world to a whole so. bunch of other things, and they'll never forget. Yeah, that. Brew Liberty beer. When I went to the tap room, I had knew nothing about beer, yeah. and they introduced me to a world of beer. And even though I'd go to different beers and may like this beer better yeah. than theirs, I'll never forget anybody I know who only You're thinks exactly of right, Daryl Budweiser, yeah. Coors, or Millers. <laughs> they'll go right back. To, they'll they'll take them to no. you. They'll take them to you, and then you 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 open up a whole new world of customers. I so think I think so. It's great. Now, I try to do that at the beer festivals. I get oh, a lot yeah. of people, I saw you. I saw you trying enjoy. to call. They didn't they didn't recognize your brewery. No. You're you're a contract brewer and yeah. you were like, Hey, c- come try my beer. What do you what do you like? And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with you. I can go the same way with wines, you know what I mean? Let's say you go to a winery and um you don't know anything about wine, you know what I mean? Or a fancy restaurant, you know People what I'm do saying? do it all the time. And they're like, got a wine list. Yeah, and I'm like, go. okay, what's the cheapest exactly. bottle? <laughs> or the cheapest glass? Versus- and I'm like, is that good or bad? Or Like, I didn't know the name. I didn't know the difference before when I started drinking wine about Marlowe's yeah. or Zinfandel or Pinot or the grapes. So but after drinking, I get it. But at the same time, it was a little bit intimidating yeah. and things like that where I think. But the wine community was not inviting. Right. You know, again, the, they were the like sometimes. Yeah, the bouginess was not. But good. I don't get that from the brew world. I no, just think, I agree. I, I think that again, artists, you're sensitive about your shit, but at the same time, you have people who don't know what bitterness is. Because right. Our bitterness for them is different because their their profile, their 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 palate is not on the same level of, of experience as yours, and yeah. you have to introduce them to that I experience. Think so. Because I didn't like IPAs when I was, when when I was drinking beer, yeah. I had a hazy, and a hazy introduced me like, okay, that doesn't taste bad. I went from hazy to dank. That's crazy. What? A lot of people don't. A lot of people they get their mind are blown by that. Wait, you never like IPAs because of the alpha acids yeah. that set on your tongue after, uh, set on your palate after. But then you go from hazy to dank, and I mean, I like the eleven percent danks like. Double IPA. You know, shout out Osmond Brewery. Yeah. They had a dank that I was like, this is great. I don't know why I never ever made this one, but I don't, but I didn't like IPAs at the time. So it's just, uh, you just have to be experienced and open to it, but you have to have a welcoming environment. I agree. And I think that's the biggest thing. No, I agree. Well, no. Scott, it's yes. been over an hour and I'm not saying we got to end it, no, that's but fine. this is the, this is the time where when I get to that hour marker or close yeah. to it, where yeah. I ask if you, have any questions for me? Because I've been doing most of the question asking. No, no. And, you know, you can you can switch roles. You can say, "Hey, what's, what what do you what you know?" I want to know some stuff about you. Well, Daryl, I know that you grew up in the South. No, right? no, no, no. I grew up. That my, my family was from the South. I grew up in Oakland, California. Oh, you grew up in yep. Oakland, Thirty Second Magnolia, Dogtown, West Oakland. Wow. Shout out. Yep. Okay. Right, yep, in the okay. Bay. Oh wow, nice. Then I mean, you you, you talked about. I've, Listen to your podcasts about you. what you drank when you were younger yes, and stuff like that. But when for you was the time, like you said, you had a pilster and a logger and yep. stuff like that. What time frame was that? How long ago was that when you first I started looking after, at it? After my 20s and my, my cousin, shout out to my cousin, shout out town and, and Sacktown yeah. uh, from North Oakland. Uh, he, he wanted to drink. When I wasn't a drinker at all. Like I didn't drink anything. I, my, yeah. my family has a lot of issues with alcoholism. Sure. So when I... When he first turned 21, and we we're only, I'm only like two and a half years older than him. But when he was like, I'm going to go drink, and first we were like, no. And he was like, well, I'm going to go out with friends and drink. I was like, no, no, no. As a cousin, or and almost like a big brother, I'm not going to let you go out with people I don't really know and let you yeah, drink. Yeah. 
So we started drinking, but I could tell like we had no experience. We didn't know what quality alcohol was. Right, right. Back we then, just, it was just yeah, to get in your twenties. You're just getting <laughs> you. Th- you just want to you want to just turn up, or you want to have that party going, yeah, and yeah. you think that that's getting drunk. Yeah. And I got to that point where that was just enough, and I started drinking beer because my memory when I was a child was of a. I think it was a. It must have been a Coors from my uncle. Yeah. That just was like ah, this is not really it's it, not so but great. it's it's. It was like that. It was my mom's wine cooler. Mom, if you're listening, yeah, I snuck some of your wine cooler uh, in the box, the box of wine. My in dad drank Mad Dog yeah, 2020. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. Right. But it was that that taste. was It was, it, it just wasn't the profile. My, my experience for my my profile or my, my taste buds were not there. My palate yeah. was not there. But as I started drinking a Pilsner, I was like, oh, this Pilsner's not bad. Yeah. Then I went from a Pilsner to a Amber, and I was like, yeah. oh, Amber's not Amber's bad. Good. Then I went to the Porters and the Stouts because I thought those were the strongest I things. Love and I love the chocolate coffee type yeah, of flavor and the thickness, vanilla sometimes yeah. and then i got to barrel age so i mean beer for me like when i knew i loved beer it was after my 20s and I see. late 20s when i was like okay you know what like I, I want something of quality okay and beer to me gives you that quality you mm-hmm. get so much you can do with beer hard <sighs> alcohol you can go tequila you can go uh, vodka you can go rum and coke yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's not saying that there's not quality hard sure. alcohol. I mean, it's just that with beer, you can get so many different notes and, and flavor yeah, profiles. And, and the nose, the smells are so different. And you're like, wow, I wouldn't even. And you don't, sometimes you don't even get the taste from the smell, but you love the smell. Yeah. It's very inviting. That That's why it got me in a beer after in my mid-20s. I can agree with you. I think there's more flavors and aspects to beer than actual wine or hard liquor or any yeah. of that stuff. There's just so much out there. Scott, it was a pleasure. Thank where you. Can, where can they where can they reach you? Where's your uh, email address, so website? What, what can we do? My website is uh, brewlibertybeer.com. Okay. Uh, Instagram, same thing. Okay. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, At brewlibertybeer. Yes, yep. correct. And then uh, my email is Scott Snyder, S-N-I-D-E-R, okay. at brewlibertybeer.com. And um, you, you can... You can subscribe to my newsletter I'm going to come out within the next month, and then I'll basically give you information about uh, the buildup of my tap room. But I'll be posting it on Instagram as well. Tap room in Sacktown. Yes. Uh, again, this is Beer Talk Now. You know where you can reach me at, at Beer Talk Now, uh, info at beertalknow.com, uh, www.beertalknow.com. And please, I love all the people who I get to meet just randomly that say they actually listen to my podcast. I really appreciate that. Critique me. Let me know what I'm doing right. Let me know what I'm doing wrong and what can I always do better of. Uh, have a good night. And this is Beer Talk Now. Scott, I'll see. I'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate it. Take care.